0: okay we are in part five good all right we're in part five finishing up our series on our cross yeah let's just really recap here as we finish up the series because we took last week and took a slight detour to cover easter oh that's right and the children if the children would like to go out for children's church sorry now they're getting used to that so uh if you guys would like to go out Any of the kids would like to go to children's church? You're welcome to go out. And uh, thanks for Pete and Jen for uh, doing that. Yeah, getting used to—it's been over a year. Getting back into certain things we haven't been used to. I'm really looking forward to bringing the children's message back to in-person here. Hopefully, later this spring, early summer be nice. All right, so where have we been in case you missed it or forgot? In the first week, we looked at the fact that the cross is foolish. We looked at the fact that because the cross represents giving up, the cross represents surrender, the cross represents weakness, and that's dumb. The world, our world does not celebrate these things. Our world wants to win, come out ahead, be strong, and, and get ahead. So giving up, surrendering, being weak, that's uh, That's foolish. And so for the cross teaching that, that's foolish to give up and embrace loss. We talked about that. Then we looked in part two about boasting. And how do we boast? And it says we boast in the cross. We boast in weakness. We boast in giving up. And especially we boast in what he, Jesus, has done. Not in what we do. It's easy to say, well, look at me or look what I've done. No, we don't boast in our own effort because the only thing that we have to boast about is his effort on our behalf. The fact that he loved us that he came, lived for us, and died for us, and rose again. And we celebrated his rising again in a special way last week. So then we talked about suffering, and we spent a couple weeks on this in part three and part four, looking at suffering. And the fact that suffering is natural, it's normal, and it's part of God's training us out of this world. That God is is helping bring us out of this world with all the things that that we get caught up into, but are temporary. And he's bringing us out of that. And part of how he does that, we experience suffering. It's not that God is, is wanting to hurt us. It's actually good for us, and but suffering is part of it. And this is what he's doing. And we looked at last uh, two weeks ago about the discipline of God, which is not actually discipline, but training as he trains us. Now, all the stuff we've been talking about of this idea of suffering and giving up has not really been a feature of modern western christianity it's really not how much of the the modern western church has operated i mean you think about especially even you know when you think about the founding of this country and so when they first came over like on the mayflower and stuff they were trying to get away from persecution but it wasn't persecution from from like uh civil authorities it was persecution from other religious people who didn't like their version of christianity so they came over here and you know set up the massachusetts colony the puritans and stuff but then what happened if we remember our history is you start having different colonies for different religions so you had the catholic colony and the the puritan colony and the quakers went down in pennsylvania and you had all these different ones and and it was all about, hey, I should be able to do it my way and worship God the way I want, which is what we've been founded on. And so then we began to transition, and it was already happening over in Europe too. We transitioned into Christianity that was based primarily on moralism and political dominance, especially in this country, moralism and political dominance. So moralism, it's like, well, this is what's right, right? And of course, the Bible does tell us what God's will is. So this is what's right, and we are the people who are right. And so we're going to also, so we're going to a, we know that we're better off. We know that we're righter than everyone else because we're the good people who do the good things that God told us to do. And those other people, well, they're the ones who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. So they're bad, and we'll try to help them become good. And then political dominance in that we will cause our country to reflect those values of good and bad that we understand from God. And so we will wield political dominance to pretty much force everyone to follow our rules and follow our things because they are good. And I'm not saying they aren't, but I'm saying that became kind of the expression of Western Christianity. And so there was this, and then out of that came a sense of middle-class comfort where, all right, and so now I am politically secure. I am a good person and I'm comfortable, you know, I have a good I have a good way of life, I have a you know, get my home, the white picket fence, the home nine yards. And so we ended up with political dominance, moralism, and a sense of middle class comfort. And so because that has become so much a part of Western Christianity, then suffering and loss and giving up has been so de-emphasized as to become not a symbol of Christ-likeness, but a sign that something is going wrong. And so giving up, losing weakness becomes a sign of what's wrong. And there, there, are, there are teachers out there who will teach that God never wants you to have a bad day. God never wants you to to be sad or poor or anything else because he just desires to make you successful and happy and powerful and well. And so the message of weakness and death and giving up, that is incompatible with this idea of God just wants nothing but great things for you right now. And so the message of the cross has become foolish within the church. Because we say, if you're suffering, what are you doing wrong? You must not have enough faith. You must not have prayed enough. Because obviously you're not supposed to suffer. And the early church, the apostles and the early church fathers, if they were to come back, they would not recognize that. They would not understand that. They would say, what is this? And we're going to look at that. We've been looking at our cross and today we're going to go into 1st Peter chapter 2 if you will turn with me to 1st Peter chapter 2 and we're going to look at this some more as we wrap up this series on our cross now the context of 1st Peter 1 Peter of course is a letter written by Peter and he's writing to believers and he's helping them understand about how to live and he talks about what does, a big theme of First Peter is grace. What is grace? And earlier in First Peter 2, he talks about government. And he talks about submission to government. And of course, Peter is writing during the height of the Roman imperial empire, when the leaders of the country were not only not democratically elected, but they believed themselves to be God. And they were worshipped. There was a cult of the emperor. And so money wasn't just money anymore. Money was a form of worship. They put the govern they put the emperor's likeness on the coin, not as a cool remembrance, but as an act of worship. And you could go into temples and sacrifice to the emperor. And before you, if you joined the army, you had to sacrifice to the emperor And the emperor was doing fun things like lighting Christians on fire or feeding them to lions. And in the middle of this kind of oppressive foreign government, Peter says, grace involves submitting and honoring that emperor. Well, that's uncomfortable. And then in verse 18, he says, and now let's talk about, let's talk to you slaves, because there was slavery in the empire. And so he talks about slaves and servants. And in that context, we're going to pick up his teaching in verse 19 of 1 Peter 2 and follow along with me as I read verses 19 through 25 and listen to what Peter says. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there, if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right, and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you, a, you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, You have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. All right, let's unpack this a little. Where I talked about the fact that the context in verse 18 is he's talking to slaves here. But it goes way beyond that. So in verse 19, he makes a statement. I don't know how your translation reads. My translation reads, verse 19, for this finds favor. Now in my translation, the word finds is in italics. And the reason the word fines is in italics is because it's not in the original language, but they threw in the word to help you understand it so it made sense in English. Because if I just read for this favor, you go, well, that doesn't make sense. For this fines favor. But the word favor is the word charis or charis, C H A R I S, charis. It is the word that we normally translate grace. So a different way that we could translate this, perhaps a little better, is for this is grace. Verse 19, for this is grace. Because what is grace? Grace is favor that you didn't earn. Grace is favor, something you are given that is good, that you didn't deserve. That's the definition of grace. Unmerited, sometimes we say, you favor. Favor that you didn't deserve. And he says, and this is favor. This is grace. Or we could say another way to say it is, or this is gracious. And then it gets weird. It gets hard. For the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly or unfairly. That you put up with it when you suffer unfairly. And the emphasis isn't even on the suffering part. The emphasis is on the unfair part. Why? Because then in verse 20, the first part of verse 20, he says, because listen, if you suffer fairly, well then what's that? That's what we call normal. If you do something stupid and you pay the price for it, you earned it. If you do something wrong and you suffer for it, you earned it. That's earned suffering. That's not grace. That's merited. You earned it. He says, but when you suffer unfairly, that's, that's favor. That's favor. Verse 20, he says, if you, didn't, if you deserved it, what's so special about that? The whole world understands that. Anybody on the planet goes, well, gee, do stupid stuff and have bad stuff happen. I remember watching a sitcom once and they were saying, listen, sometimes bad things happen to bad people and it was supposed to be a joke, but it's really not because, hey, when you do dumb stuff, bad stuff can happen. But this says, no, when it's unfair. If it's unfair and you bear it, this is grace. Now that's, that's uncomfortable. None of us go, ooh, I love that. Hmm. And the problem is, is Peter's not even done yet. Because we're already uncomfortable. And then he says, verse 21, you have been called for this purpose. You have been called to do this. So it's not just, well, if it happens, if it happens to happen, try to bear up. No, he's saying, you've been called to suffer unfairly. Huh? What? Hello? Well, that sounds stupid. It sounds foolish. Because the cross is foolish. But he says, you have been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you. And he left you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. He said, this is what happened to Jesus. Jesus He says, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Jesus was perfect. Jesus didn't deserve to have anything bad happen to him ever. I mean, he's kind of God, you know? So if you're God, good things should be coming to you, right? He says, so Jesus didn't deserve anything he got, and yet being treated terribly unfairly, terribly unjustly, being abused and mistreated, said he didn't say anything. He says, and part of why he did that was that you would follow in his footsteps. In fact, don't lose your place, but turn back to Luke chapter 9. Back towards the middle. Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 9. Jesus actually said something about this. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. In Luke chapter nine, verse twenty-two, as he did a lot of times, he tried to help the disciples understand what was coming. They didn't get it; they weren't good at listening. In verse twenty-two, Jesus says, "The Son of Man, meaning himself, must suffer, must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised up on the third day." And we know they didn't catch any of that. His disciples went, "Huh?" And then when he was arrested, they thought he'd get out. And then when he didn't get out and died, they all went and hid. And then they thought he was dead for good and they didn't get it. But after he tells them that he's going to suffer and be killed and rise again. And then verse 23, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, in other words, if you wish to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So then Jesus says, and this is what it means if you want to be one of my followers, if you want to come behind me, this is what you got to do. You got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross, and and that little extra word is terrible. That's why I went with the Luke passage. Pick up your cross every day. Every day you got to pick up your cross. The cross, of course, representing weakness, surrender, death. The cross is loss. He says, "This is what it means to follow Me." And so then Peter says. He did that, so you'll what? Follow him, and you've been called to follow him this way. Through suffering. Through unfair suffering. And this, man, this changes things. Because it means suffering is not some mere byproduct of embracing Jesus. Sometimes we say, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, sometimes you're going to have to suffer. And actually, Peter's point here, and we saw it two weeks ago when we looked at Hebrews, where it says, actually, if you're going to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean at some point you might suffer, it means that's what following Jesus means. It's the central curriculum. Which is why back in part four, you can go back and find it, it's on YouTube and on Facebook, part four, it said that every child who God receives, he trains through suffering. And we saw that, of course, Jesus came to earth and it said he learned obedience through what he suffered. And again, it wasn't that Jesus needed an education, but as a fully human, he too had to learn through suffering. And he learned it. Part of why he did it is so that we would have an example to follow. We're called to the cross and the cross is loss. Now, what about baptism? Because it says, believe and then be baptized. Well, baptism is a reenactment of the results of the cross. Because Jesus was, he died on the cross, and they brought him down, they buried him in the tomb, and three days later, he rose again. So, when you say, I'm going to give my life up, I embrace the cross, then we baptize you by symbolically Laying you in the tomb. And you raise the new person. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life I now live. I live in faith of the one who loved me and died for me. And so the whole thing is about death. Laying down my life. And now I'm his. And my life is built around him. And the promise of new life. And that's where the passage ends. Because in verse 23 and 24, he goes through Jesus' example again of how he put up with terribly unfair treatment that he could have stopped any time. It wasn't like Jesus was sitting there and didn't have the power to stop it. He told Peter, he goes, I could stop this anytime I wanted. But that's not how this works. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. And so his wounds heal us. And what does that mean? It means that as you are suffering, as we endure our cross, it's to help you remember his. Our cross points to his cross. Our cross points to his cross. As we suffer, it reminds us of his suffering. And in verse 25, he says, you are continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This changes your entire life to be about Him. And you see that all the way through, especially the New Testament. Of My life is now about His life. It's about giving up of myself. It's about surrendering myself because He died for me. And everything that I have now is not because I'm a good person. It's because He died for me. I'm not boasting in myself, but I boast in what He did for me. The one who loved me and died for me and rose again well this is very different than how often this is presented in our culture today in our church cultures so let me let's ask some questions i have two big main sets of questions the first one is your life centered on jesus and his cross following his cross or is it about avoiding unfairness and suffering because the cross is about suffering unfairly and that is why the early believers they got strapped to pieces of wood and set on fire and they sang they were put in the middle of the stadium and they released lions And as the lions stalked them to rip them apart, they sang. And they were thrown in prisons and they sang. Why? Because they said, this is grace. We are being made like Jesus because this is how they treated him. Why? Because he had told them, they hated me, they'll hate you. And when they hate you, rejoice. You're following me. And so they sang and they, they didn't sit there and go, well, this isn't fair. How come you're I'm trying to be a good person here. No, they went, hallelujah. When we see the apostles get arrested and beaten and then released, and they say, and they went away rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer. Why? Because they said, we were suffering. This is grace. This is grace. Walking through hard times is Grace. We have been found worthy to suffer. We are being made like Jesus. But so often in our culture today, what is our Christian life about? It's about avoiding unfairness and suffering. Oh my word. How much of our Christian response to even just current things, which isn't even aimed at us, aimed at a virus, and we're like, well, you can't tell me that I can't do whatever I want. I should never have to suffer. I should never have to be inconvenienced. That's not fair. Yeah, It's not fair. Is your life centered on avoiding unfair? Because this passage says, this is grace when you are treated unfairly he said if you deserve it what good is that it's uncomfortable I get it I have a strong sense of fairness overdeveloped I think things are unfair when they probably actually are fair you learn that as a kid right everybody gets four raisins one kid got five raisins That's not fair. Because it says in the Bible, everyone should have the exact same number of raisins. And if your brother has five and you have four, thus saith the Lord, it must not be. Right? It's not fair. And we become adults, and we're still good at that. But what about so-and-so? But what about so-and-so? But what about so-and-so? Jesus said, if it's Peter said, this is grace if you suffer unfairly. So the first question, what is your life about? Is it about I get to be treated like Jesus? Or it is I will move heaven and earth and hire lawyers to make sure I don't have to be treated like Jesus. That I will do everything in my power to avoid being treated unfairly and to be avoid suffering. Well, that relates to our second question, second set of questions. Are you secure in the present, which involves oftentimes suffering, because of hope in the future? Or do you hope to fix the present because you fear the future? I get emails because I have in the past been a representative for the political party that I have traditionally been a part of, So I get a lot of emails from them, weekly, sometimes daily, along with a lot of people trying to sell me a lot of stuff. And the one thing, and if you get the snail mail version of it, you don't even need to open the envelope because they put it on the outside. You need to be afraid of what's coming. Whole country's just going straight to the dogs. So send money and we'll stop it for you. And there is a huge market in cutting us to fear for the future. What kind of world are we going to leave our children? It doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on. Everybody's just trying to make you afraid about the future. And it causes us anxiety. I don't know what's going to happen to this country. And so then what do we do? So then we say, well, I got to fix it. I got to fix it because I just don't know what's going to happen. So we got to fix it. You know what they're going to do if we don't stop them. Or you say, you know what? I know what the future holds. My future is secure. And that's what those early Christians, that's why they're singing in the lion's den. Because they're like, we know how the story ends. Resurrection. That's Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. They're like, we know how our story ends. So whatever you do to us now, or what happens now is really not a big deal. Which was why Paul said, I consider the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to what I got coming. And why Hebrews says these guys, they could have gone back to the country they'd come from, but they desired a different kingdom. And so they weren't afraid of what they left behind. But they pressed on. And that's why Jesus before Pilate. When Pilate says are you. Are you a king? Jesus says <laughs> not like you mean. And that's why my followers aren't fighting today. Because my kingdom is not of this world. Because what's going to happen to this world. It's going to pass away. And God is trying to get us out of it ahead of time. That's why it's Grace. the hard times, is God calling us out of a world that is passing away. So the hard times, the dark times, the suffering and unfairness, and we got to be honest, compared to most of the world, we're really not being targeted yet. I mean, it may be common, but nobody really this morning, there's nobody who really cares about what I say up here. I'm streaming on Facebook, and I'm, I might, you know, we may get in trouble for playing a copyrighted song, but then I can talk about Jesus all I want. Nobody's going to get upset yet. Nobody cares. Time may come, but we're not being targeted for our faith yet. Not here. There are places where that can be true. If you'd like that, go to China. They'll help you out. Pretty much any country in the Middle East, you'll come back and go, boy, great to be back here. But it may come. Why? Because Jesus said it would come. But even without that kind of persecution, it's hard. Time's marching on, we're all feeling it. We don't have to suffer just from persecution. Sometimes we suffer just because you get older, right? I mean, I, I, I play a game every day now. It's it's a it's I am I'm, I'm not getting better at it, but I play it more. And the, the worse I get the game, the more I play it. It's called remembering that name or where I put it. My wife and I are like a constant game of charades now where I'm like, you know, that person who like, you know, you know, they have the, you know, the, 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 the they have a, you know, the husband and, and, and hair and she's like, oh, you mean so-and-so? No, 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 no. The one with the, the one with the, the car. Oh, okay. And you know, I don't, I can't, that didn't used to happen. And of course you saw I got a haircut. You're like, oh, he was so shaggy, but man, the different topography going on there. I'm like, what's going on with that? Not just the color, but the location. And it's suffering. I sat here after first service. Beth and I sat there and talked for 20 minutes. And then when I got up, A, two tries. B, there was a noise involved. Because this world is passing away. And God's favor is to say, I'm going to try to keep you from getting too attached to what you're going to lose anyway. And that's why he said, don't store up your treasure here where moth and dust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Again, I don't can't tell you how many emails and mailings we get trying to warn me about who's trying to take what away from me. But Jesus said, don't worry about treasure that someone can take. Store up your treasure in heaven where nobody can steal it and so i'm secure because what god's given me nobody can steal the present can be terribly unpleasant and we know it's passing away and that's why jesus jesus has a bunch of stuff that if we don't understand this it's very hard to understand it he sounds mean It sounds weird, and and a lot of people struggle with his teaching because they don't embrace the central principle. So when he says things like, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, we're like to Jesus, that sounds harsh. But he's not saying hate your parents, hate your kids. That would be inconsistent with everything else he said. What does he talk? What does he mean? And when the guy says, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I want to wait till my parents die and bury them. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. Come follow me. He's not saying, do not have human care for each other. He's not saying that. Obviously, he commanded that. What he's saying is, don't get so caught up in you, this kingdom that you miss the real one. This kingdom's going to pass away. So do not invest your life in that which is going to go away no matter how good you do at it. No matter how much you succeed. You know, I'm trying to get a little more physically fit. Well, when I say I'm trying, I'm trying to want to. But no matter how much I do, will it will it benefit me? Yes. Will it keep me from dying? No. May change when I do, may change how much fun until I get there. But unless Jesus comes back before I die, I'm gonna die. Because that's how that works. I went to school, I studied it. Trust me, it happens. So why would I invest everything and worry about now the suffering of this present time is to remind me of what I've been given that nobody can take away. And we're going to study that next in the coming weeks. Let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much that you would love us so much. Lord, you Tell us the truth. You are very real about the lives we experience here and that they hurt and they're hard and our bodies get old, get sick, get weak. We are pressed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. We suffer from people who don't treat us the way they should. We suffer from unfair people and unfair systems. Sometimes we get targeted just for the fact that we love you. And we proclaim you. And yet, Lord, our world is full of people who think that they're better than everyone else. And Lord, may we be lights in the darkness of people who do not boast that we're better than everyone else because we know we are not better than anyone else. But that we know the one who was better than everyone else, that you came and lived the perfect life and you died for us. And may we boast in you. Not in our worthiness, Not in our moral superiority, but that we have been saved by the love of God that would come and give up his life and his perfection and be made sin so that we who are sin might be called righteous. And may that distinguish us as unique in the whole world because our hope rests not in the temporary victories of this kingdom. But, Lord, your kingdom, and we eagerly await it, and yet we live in it today. May that be who we are as Beans Corner Church, people that secure and full, therefore, of grace and love and mercy the way you are full of those things for us. And may we be a beacon of hope because our world is angry and scared and fighting and tearing each other apart. And may we stand out like lights in the darkness, like a city on the hill, unmistakable, because of your light in us. This is grace. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the ease with which we've been able to live. Thank you for the opportunities you're going to give us this week to share your grace and mercy with other people around us. Equip us, and may we encourage each other as we go through hard times and as we go through the darkness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.